Pastors Larry and Tiz Huck welcome you to another Larry Huck Ministries podcast. We pray this teaching will fill you with God's wisdom, anointing, and revelation knowledge. Thank you for your prayers and faithful support. Open your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 4. And I want to read something that God laid on my heart. You know, when I first got saved, I remember hearing this a couple times in sermons, and I don't even remember what country it was, but whatever country it was, it was illegal to gather together and have church. And so people were having underground churches. And they're meeting in this basement, and it's a story from a missionary, and they're meeting in this basement, and all of a sudden, the door in the basement kicks open. There, there, there was about 30 people in the basement, and they're quietly reading God's word and praying, and the door kicks open, and there's a soldier, a military officer, standing there with his gun. And of course, it could cost them their lives. And so... The soldier looks at them and says, every one of you who are not true followers of the teachings of Jesus, you can leave. And so about three quarters of them scurried out because, man, uh, we're going to prison at least, but they can kill us. After they left, those who stayed, he shut the door and he said, I cannot risk being seen with people who aren't real Christians. We also heard a saying that was like this. If you were arrested for being a Christian and you were put on trial, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Now, Now, we're living in the last days. God has given me. We we just did a, a month of television programming last Wednesday, and I decided to put this out because it's been so strong on me. For the next two years... You're going to see God look amongst his people, politically, financially, and spiritually. And he's going to look amongst his people. The eyes of the Lord are running to and fro. And God said in the next two years, politically, spiritually, financially, those who are doing what's right, those who are serving God, not because it's convenient, but they're serving God with all their heart. He's going to raise them up like the cream rising to the top. And after two years, we're going to see a major change in our country. And those of us who are doing what's right, who are living according to what God says to do, those of us, we're going to be political, spiritual, and financial leaders. So what is a Christian? What is a Christian? The Bible says there are two main traits that show that we're Christians that show we're the children of God. One, Jesus said, is that we love one another. He said, they will know, they out there will know we in here belong to him up there by one thing. We love one another. Doesn't matter if we're male or female, young or old, white, black, brown, pinstripe, polka dotted. We're to love one another. Amen. Amen? The second trait is what we're going to read today is that A trait that we are truly disciples of the Lord is that we have boldness. Read with me in Acts chapter 4, verse 1. 
Now, as they spoke to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. And being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus' name the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. And when it came to pass on the next day that the rulers and the elders and the scribes, as well as Ananus, a high priest, and Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked them, by what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed, a mitzvah done to the helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. And this is the stone which was rejected by the builders, which has become the chief cornerstone, nor is there salvation in any other for there is no other name under heaven given amongst men by which we must be saved. Now, here's the key verse to this. Now, when they saw the boldness, everybody say saw. saw. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. Now, what, what proves to the world that we are followers of the Lord? What proves to the world? Jesus said, they'll know you're my disciples that you have loved one for another. But then when it gets down to the nitty gritty, do people see your boldness of standing for Jesus Christ and standing on the word of God? You know, last week when uh, Will was teaching and he brought in the, the prayer pot that his family had when they were slaves, they were forbidden by their slave masters to pray. They were forbidden by these, these unbelievably cruel people to pray. So instead of saying, well, you know, if we pray, we'll get punished. If we prayed, we'll get beaten. If we prayed, this will happen. Instead of bowing down to that, they put their heads into the pot and prayed anyway because they were bold in the name of Jesus. You know, when I was watching, listening to the pastor will teach this. And then he talked about his family came from slaves. And then he met the guy whose family owned the slaves. And then they started traveling together and teaching on unity and, and, and moving forward into the things of God. I, I was sitting there and I had intended to preach this week, get back on the series on the blood of Jesus. And I was sitting there and I said, the, the Lord spoke to me and I was actually taking notes and God said, I want you to speak 
on being bold. I want you to speak on being bold. You know, if they were caught praying, they could be tied to a tree and whipped. How many of us, we go into the lunchroom at work and we go, oh, Jesus, bless the food. Because we're ashamed or afraid that somebody will see that we're Christians. You know, it's time for Christianity to come out of the closet. I love when I'm flying on an airplane. I've told you this before. I love it. Now I fly. I always have Scott with me or, or somebody with me. But I used to always fly by myself, and I'd sit next to somebody, and I'd at, look over them. You know, we're going to be on the plane for two hours or, or 14 hours or whatever it is. And I'd look at them and introduce, hi, I'm Larry. You know, I, and I'd ask them, what do you do for a living? And they'd say, well, I'm this. And, you know, their next question is what? And so I'd tell them. For two hours, for 14 hours, for 18 hours. Because I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, this is the time of celebrating Black History Month. And whether you notice or not, I'm not black. I did grow up on Motown. But when I was thinking about the boldness that I heard Will talking about and his family and, and Black History Month, I had just watched for the third time. I'm sure many of you have seen the movie, but it's an amazing movie. If you haven't watched it, you need to watch it and watch it with your kids. It's, it's called Harriet, about Harriet Tubman. And Harriet Tubman was a slave, and I think at 21 or 20 years old, something like that, she escaped. And I think she made it like 150, 200 miles by herself into freedom. But then Harriet Tubman, after she saw, and by the way, it was a lot of white people and black people working together. It's called the Underground Railroad. And they were working together at the risk of their own lives. And here she is. She makes it. She's out. She is free. But what does she do? She goes back in by herself. 15, 18, 19 times, and at the risk of her own life, she would rescue others and bring them out. You know, when I was watching that movie, you know, when we were in, when we were in uh, uh, Miami, uh, Pastor Scott and Lydia and Wanderson and Pabli, I call her Pappy, we were on the, uh, watching the beach, and you know what I saw over and over again? I mean, not once, two, three times, over and over and over again, young people bringing out a tripod and putting it up and taking, I mean, one after another, taking selfies, 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 selfies. They're, they're all, po- you know, <laughs> men and women. And I'm thinking, this is a selfish generation. This is a selfie generation. It wasn't like, let's get the group together. It's me, me, me. What if Harriet Tubman had said, well, I got mine. Now I'm free. And, you know, the amazing thing about Harriet Tubman, if you ever watched it, is not just her boldness, but her faith. She would, she would be going somewhere, and they would be chasing her, and they called her, they called her Moses because they didn't know who it was that was coming back and setting the captive free. And they called her Moses, and they were, it was her death. They were, they were planning on, on not only capturing her, but 
covering her in boiling oil and then burning her alive. That's what the word was out. And yet she did it 16, 17, 18, 19 times. And then finally, in, during the Civil War, she led a battalion of hundreds of men, first woman to ever lead men into battle. I want to I I go to heaven and go, Harriet, tell us the stories. But when she was traveling, she would hear from God. God would lead her, said, don't go right, don't go left. They showed in one, and, and I looked it up, and it's a true story. They were crossing the, the river, and the people, the, the, the other slaves that were with her, and some of them family members said, you, 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 that we'll drown. And she had God speak, and then she walked through, and God showed her a sandbar, or God made a sandbar, whatever it was, and led them to the other side because of boldness in trusting God. Listen to what she said, and I quote, I always told him, I trust you. I don't know where to go or what to do, but I expect you to lead me, and he always did. We need to, we need to teach this kind of history in our schools. We need to teach this kind of caring for others to our children in our family. You know, I could go on with a lot of, lot of bold leaders, but, you know, one of my favorite is Dr. Martin Luther King. You know, you go back in, and in church history, and I was thinking about this there, you go back in church history of Martin Luther, who said to the Catholic Church, wait, we have a right to know the Bible too. And I bet in those days he thought he was going to be the most famous Martin Luther. But there came another one called Dr. Martin Luther King. And, you know, I, I've always tremendously admired this man. In fact, my first main book, uh, with permission of friends of mine, I, I, I call, it's about breaking generational curses. I, I named it Free at Last in honoring of Dr. King and his boldness. But Dr. King was preaching on, in Memphis at the Mason Temple in 1968, a day before he was assassinated. A day before he was assassinated. Listen to what he said. He said, well, I don't know. This is the end, this is the end of the last paragraph in his speech. He said, well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop and I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he allowed me to go up to the mountain and I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. And I am so happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Somebody ought to give the Lord a clap offer for that. Now, 
I got to tell you, I love you all. I love you all. But I'm not sure I'm willing to die for you. But he was. He knew that these people were going to kill him, and yet he did it anyway. No selfie. No me, me, me. I've been to the mountaintop, and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there. I may not get there. And two days later, he's killed and assassinated. Where would history be without people of boldness? You know, when I started thinking about this, I, lo- I, I, I looked up in Hebrew the word for boldness. And it's interesting because our Bible changes things so much, but it's interesting that a lot of times in, from Hebrew to English, it's called strength. And I wrote down a bunch of scriptures. I'm not going to take time to read them. You could look at Exodus 15, 2. Look at Isaiah 12, 2. You could look at a bunch of other scriptures. But when we translate it into English, it comes out the strength of the Lord. My enemies have defeated. I've seen my salvation. God has given me strength. And the word strength here in the original Hebrew actually comes from two words. Now, How many want to be strong in the Lord? Not be defeated. And it talks about the enemy being defeated, the enemy cast down, and the enemy tossed into the sea. Well, the word strength here comes from two Hebrew words, which one is holy boldness, and the other is bold brazenness. Holy boldness. Our strength comes from not yielding to the pressures of society or pressures of the world, but our strength comes from holy boldness. You know, I was sitting there, and as Will was telling this story about his family praying under that pot, un, uh, not, not because somebody would laugh at him, not because somebody would, would um, um, uh, fire them, not because somebody would, would say something bad about them on social media, They could lose their lives. They would be horribly punished uh, for doing this. And yet the boldness to get under that pot and pray. And of course, you remember the story of Will that the master's uh, wife or daughter, I can't remember, she caught him. And instead of turning them in, she got under and began to pray with them. Here's what boldness can do. And I started thinking about this. This is truly what the word of God says. It's, it's holy boldness. So I was writing notes and I said, you know what we need in a day and age in which we're seeing pastors compromise the word of God because they might lose people or they might lose money. We need to be bold and saying, I don't care. I will stand firmly on the rock and tell you what the word of God says. Right? Amen? Amen. So we went in the back, and Pastor Troy was here, and Pastor Troy is one of our Afro-American brothers that sits under this ministry, and he's very involved with politics and speaks all over. He's one of the great political leaders in our state here. And we were talking about this, and he said, you know, Pastor, when, when I was with you last time, you prophesied over me, and i be honest, I didn't remember. He said, you prophesied that God would give me holy boldness. 
And so we're talking about this of pastors and leaders and Christians not yielding to the pressures of society, but standing on the word of God, standing on the rock in love, but standing on the word of God. And we had, we had, when we were in Miami, we're, we're, we're talking about this concert we want to do in October on unity. And Pastor Wanderson said, well, what about the pastor from this church? And I said, oh yeah, that's a great church. I mean, those folks stand firmly on the word of God. And Pastor Troy didn't know we talked about that. And he goes, you won't believe this. He said, I was scheduled to go next week into this church. It's a very large church. It's a, 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 a very, very large church. And, uh, and he said, I was supposed to go in there to teach the, the church and their leaders how to get people to vote morally. Yes. To vote morally. That we're to vote the Bible. We're to vote according to the morals of the Bible. And he said, while we're sitting there, and, I, and I'm th taking notes on boldness, he said, they just canceled me. And they said, we've decided not to try to influence the way people vote. Mercy. 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 That's why the Bible says, be not many leaders, for greater is your condemnation. If I, if I don't teach the truth, because I'm afraid of losing you or losing your money, then I am a false teacher. Is that fair to say? And we've got to understand that. But what about you? What about you standing for the principles of the kingdom of God in school? At work? In your family? And in your community? Will we be the Harriet Tubmans? Will we be the Davids who face the, the, the giants? Will we be like Peter and them who were threatened? Now, they just horribly crucified Jesus. These same people that did this said, you need to shut up. And Peter said, let it be known that Jesus, whom, by the way, you crucified whom, by the way, I read the end of the book, we win, God raised from the dead in his name. We live in a day and age in which our society is putting more pressure on the values of the word of God than we have ever lived before. While I was sitting at my desk on Friday, and I'm just writing notes. I'm just praying and writing notes that God's speaking to me. I get a text, and I don't even know who the text was from. It was, and it said, if you're faithful in little, God will cause you to be faithful in much. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to share something with y'all. Many of you know this story, but I'm going to share this. Listen, the next two years, God's looking. His eyes are running to and fro. He's looking for political, spiritual, financial to raise you to the top. God's going to do, do tremendous things in the next two years. The question is, are, are you and I going to be a part of that? You know, last year, the nation of Israel named me, named our ministry, the most influential in the world for Christians for standing with Israel. In the world, the most influential. And... I was sitting there and thinking, I wonder how many that are part of our ministry here and around the world know 
the whole story. You know, we were sitting in the back after filming TV the other day, and I was sitting back there with Bruno and Wanderson and a whole bunch of other people, and they said, Pastor, we never heard these things about you. We, we didn't know these things about you. And so I'm thinking, how did we get to the point that we're recognized by Israel as the most influential Christians in the world? And God said, if you're faithful in little, I'll cause you to be faithful in much. And so I, I started thinking, you know, go all the way back to the first church that Tiz and I ever started. It was in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And you know the stories. We started it in, down in the, in the, in where the gangs were. And we started our first church was a liquor store that shut down and been shut down for three years because they, they robbed it. And a guy shot and killed these, these young gang members and stuff. And so Tiz and I are starting our first church and getting all these kids saved and these gangbangers saved. And all of a sudden, one day we were out for coffee and, and this, uh, we got something, we prayed over it. And this couple, this white couple comes up to us, a really nice looking family. And they said, oh, we noticed you're praying. Uh, are you Christians? We said, yeah, we just started a church. And they said, well, when, where is it? And we come down. They came down to our church and they walked in and our church wasn't all white. It wasn't, I mean, it wasn't all Mexican. It was like uh, 98% Mexican. There weren't, in Santa Fe in those days, there were no African-Americans. And so we had 98% uh, uh, Hispanic. We had um, uh, probably 3.5% Native American and my family. <laughs> and these people walk in and they look and they go, well, your church is all Mexican. And I said, well, not all. There's, there's Tiz and Luke. And, and you know what they said to me? This isn't done here. And I wasn't as refined then as I am now. So I could have said it kinder. But I thought, what do you mean? You know, I didn't think. I said, this isn't done here. Mexicans and white people don't go to church together. And I thought, and I said to him, well, that's probably why God sent me. And so we were known that it would be an economic sacrifice if we just, if we reached out, the doors were open to everybody because the people with money would go to that church and they just wouldn't come because we had Mexicans. So we had to make a decision whether our bills would get paid or we'd be in the will of God. What decision would you make? And so we made the right decision. And then one day we're sitting in this little, I mean, this building, it, it, it was an old rundown liquor store. My office was the beer cooler. You know, those big, heavy, those doors. We had, we had like 28 or 32 leaks in it. It was just metal chairs. They had those logs and adobe building. And one day, this we're, we're all, all young, young gangbangers getting saved, court sentencing kids to it. We had 6,000 teenagers give their lives to the Lord in three years. 6,000. We had courts sentencing kids to our, to our ministry instead of putting them in juvenile court. And so, you know, our offering, and these are all, uh, our first six people that come from the church were drug addicts that lived under the bridge across the street from the church. They were drug addicts. They lived under the, they were trolls under the bridge. They were our first ushers. 
We lost quite a few offerings now that I think about it. <laughs> At that time, the people I was wearing, they paid us $115 a week. That church still owes me $898. <laughs> but we had to make a decision if we were going to be socially acceptable or biblically acceptable. So we just kept doing it. And then one day this lady walks in our church, the door opens, the chauffeur walks in. Now we're, I'm talking, we're in the hood and the chauffeur walks in and brings a chair in. This old lady comes in. You got to picture all Mexican gangbangers. You know, I, 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 you, you got to picture this place. And this old lady about 80 years old walks in and she started going to our church and found out later that she used to own Miller's Brewery and got saved and sold it. And so she winters in, uh, in Scottsdale, Arizona somewhere and she summers in, in our church. And so when she was there, our offerings would pay the bills. When she wasn't there, our offering was about $45. But we made the choice to do what was biblically correct and would not do what was politically, socially, or economically correct. Give me an amen. amen. The question is, what would you do? And then after that, we moved to Australia. And when we went to Australia, we didn't know that Aboriginal people weren't invited to come to the, the churches. And so we didn't know that. We, we, we're just there and we're living down in the, not, not to go plant, you know, open, found a building. Uh, 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 it was a bank building. It was originally a bank building it was shut down because the economy in this area was so terrible. And, you know, we were just used to winning people off the street. So Tiz and I are walking. We live about two blocks from the, from the church and we see this Aboriginal family and we walk to them and say, Hey, we're starting a church here. And when we did it, they, they backed off and they went against the wall and we're, we're thinking, man, you know, Tis, I should have bathed. <laughs> I knew it, even though it's not Friday. And found out that th these Aboriginal people were afraid of white people. In fact, we, we heard a, a message that Aboriginal people didn't have a soul. And so we made a decision. We're going to do this. Amen. We're going to reach all people. Amen. People off the streets people didn't didn't matter we're, we're gonna reach them and we were told once again you know what you'll never get anybody with money you'll never get anybody with money but i would rather have the favor of god than the finances of man and you know amazing thing god never let us down and after and then after australia we we, we did two churches there found a building opened up we came back and and we went to portland and when we were in Portland, um, our church was a third black, a third white, a third uh, Hispanic, and booming. And then I went to Israel, and I realized we've been lied to about the Bible. We haven't replaced Israel. We've been, as Paul said, grafted in. And so I came back with this tremendous revelation that you know what? We need to stand with the people of Israel. We need to stand with the Jewish people around the world. And this is the will of God. I had people sending me death threats that you're, you're a heretic because we have replaced Israel. 
God is done with the Jewish people. God is done with Israel. I had people get up and walk out of the building and saying, God will never again touch the Jewish people. And as we saw people exodus, we had to make a decision is, are we going to stand on what God told us? Or are we going to count the number of people and their dollars that are leaving the church? And we had to make a decision. And we had to be bold. And then we saw great revival and we're, the church boomed and we were $12 million debt free into a, into a uh, new building. And I mean, it was moving. It was, if there was something happening in Portland, we were a thing. I mean, it was, it was jamming. It was, it was a machine. It was, we were doing Bible conferences to reach fallen pastors I was actually down here in Dallas, and God spoke to me and said, the shepherd is to leave the 99 and go get the sheep, but what if the shepherd falls? Who go gets him? God said, go after them who have been removed from the body of Christ and bring them back. And so I told our church, I said, we're going to start doing a conference, reaching out to pastors and their families that are struggling, that are quitting the ministry, that are giving up. And so we, little did we know, the last one we brought in, we had 650 people in, in our church that took volunteers that took the week off to minister to pastors and encourage them before there was, you, you, when you could, remember when you could get to the gate at the airport and pastors are all beat up. They, we didn't know them. We didn't know anybody. Somebody given their name and we'd have a team waiting for them at the airport with balloons and flags and saying, your best is yet to come. Come on, you can do it. And it was just a amazing amazing the last one we did on sunday morning i don't even remember what i preached but i said you know you can make it come on don't don't let them beat you down don't don't give up and we had 38 pastoral couples stand up on sunday morning and vow that they were these were pastors vow they were calling home monday and canceling their divorce so here we have thousands of these pastors that are being restored and you know what some of the church started saying they said god is trying to weed out the the, how did it say that god is trying to read out the body of christ and huck's trying to hold on to all the garbage and i'm telling you something it takes boldness when you look at you know, I think about in, uh, you know, I think one of, the, one, of the, one of the most amazing stories, our church has always been full of drug addicts and prostitutes and, and gangbangers. When, we when we were in Adelaide, Australia, we were just started the church. It was, it was uh, not a good neighborhood. And up pulls a motorcycle and this, this guy driving a motorcycle and this girl, Mick and Michelle, on the back, she was a prostitute but she was a prostitute from a wheelchair because she had overdosed on heroin and laid three days in an abandoned building and all of her muscles atrophied. And so here she comes walking in. Mick was her 
Loan pimp Michelle was a prostitute, and they got gloriously saved, and they became just leaders in the kingdom of God. I, I can remember, I can remember, I can remember going going to the airport one time, and Tiz and I were flying back to the states, and it was like six o'clock in the morning, and it's pouring down rain in Adelaide, and we're at the st- uh, stop sign. One one of our guys are driving us, and here it's pouring down rain. It's just barely dawn, and here comes a motor motorcycle and we look out here's mick and michelle coming to see us off at the airport i said what are you guys doing they said we can't let mom and dad leave without telling them don't you stay there you come back home and be with us yeah yeah a lot of people didn't want to come to church with people like that they didn't want to come to church with people like that can i tell you one time i I was arrested We had a girl in our church in Santa Fe. She was the leader of the men's, one of the men's gang. She had four or five children, lost them all to the courts. She came in and got saved. She came in and gave her life to the Lord, was serving God, ended up marrying one of the, the, the men in the, young men in the church. I mean, this gal, she had, she'd been shot twice. She had no teeth. She tried to commit suicide and jumped off a bridge and busted all of her teeth out. We bought her new teeth. She looked good. She, we bought her new teeth. She was looking good. And so they got married in the courts. She got all of her kids back. It was a miracle. And so they're just married. There. And so we realized that they were hurting. And so we bought a bunch of food, me and a couple of the guys, we bought a bunch of food and, and we were going to leave it on their back porch. So they didn't know where it came from, but there was dog wild, you know, loose dogs running around said, man, these dogs will get into it. So we found a window and we pried a window open (laughs) and I'm halfway through the window and whoop, whoop, whoop. I go, officer, it's not what you think. He didn't really arrest me. He helped us put the food in there. <laughs> but people will say, we, every church we've ever been in, people would say, well, you know what? You need to go down to Larry and Tiz's church. They have a church full of people like you. And I can't help but think where Jesus said, when he was with the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the drug addicts and whoever, right. I can't help but think when they said, if he were a man of God, What's he doing with people like this? And Jesus' response was, these are the ones I came for. These are the ones I came for. I came for those who need me. And so you look at this, and, and, and I could tell you so many different stories, but every step of the line, Jesus would, was saying to us, we didn't realize it, but Jesus was saying to us, if I can trust you with this, I'll trust you with the next one. And if I can trust you with this, I'll trust you to the next one. See, to really be a child of God, we need to love one another and we need to be bold. And then we came to Dallas. You know, when we were in the other building, we, two stories, 3,000 people in six, seven, eight months. And I debated whether saying this or not, because 
Every church Tiz and I have ever started, and we've never taken a church over. We've always started a church and built it, and then our group, we'd get it so big, and then they move us on. And every church, we stood against racism. You cannot be a racist and be a real Christian. You cannot say, well, those white people or those black people or those Mexican people or those Asian people or those Navajo people or whatever. No, we're, we're a family jointly fit together. And you have to make that stand. You know, when I came to Dallas, I was told if you allow a percentage of different colors in your church, then certain people won't come. So we have to decide, do we want them coming or do we want where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. But, you know, we've also had people that are black and Hispanic and say, you know, our people say, well, you're Hispanic, you ought to go to a Hispanic church. Or you're black, you ought to go to a black church. Or you're white, you ought to go to a white church. And I think that's tremendously wrong. Because we are a body jointly fit together. I told you the story in Australia, what color is Jesus? And the mom said to the little girl, honey, Jesus is the light of the world. And pure light is every color of the rainbow. And if we're going to see a move of God personally and as a body of Christ, we need to say, you know what? I don't care if they come in and they've sang in the choir for 20 years. I don't care if they've been a drug addict. I don't care if they just got out of jail. I don't care if they've been in a church pew their whole lives. Every one of us needs Jesus Christ to be our our Lord and Savior, and we need to welcome them in. Now, let me close with this. When I first got saved, you know the story. I came in, I had long hair, and I, had, I was a drug addict, and I was, was a drug dealer, and, and came in and came to a church. It's only about 30 people, then became my church. But when I gave my life to the Lord, not one person in that church, not one person, you know, we had the altar call. We came down and we're kneeling at the altar. Not one person in that church came and prayed with me and my friend, Donna. Not one. And later they said they looked at us and they, they walked away because they said, well, people like that won't make it. You know, that church was a good church and it became a phenomenal church. And they prayed for souls. God, bring us souls. God, bring us souls. And then God brought Donna and I, and they said, not, not ones that look like that. <laughs> That's hypocrisy. That's hypocrisy. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that God looks on the inside when God looks on the outside. Amen? So how do we have boldness? And let me, let me, let me close with, with this. The latter rain... It's going to be the most exciting time in the history of the kingdom of God. We're going out the head, not the tail. We're going on above only, not beneath. We're going out the lenders, not the borrowers. How many believe that's true? How many want to be a part of that? I looked up this word, boldness. And in Hebrew, it literally means the courage of a spiritual warrior. Now, give me two minutes. I'm going to close. This is phenomenal. 
And so as I begin to study that, boldness is, oh, I'm bold. Boldness means the courage of a spiritual warrior. I couldn't help but think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. All they had to do was bow down. But they threw them in the fire, and they would not bow down. So at work or at school or in your community or in your family, decide you're not going to bow down. Because you know what the outcome is? The king who threw them in looked in and said, how many we throw in there? They said, three, your highness. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He goes, I see a fourth standing amongst them. And he looks like the son of God to me. Come on, somebody. Come on. Come on, somebody. So let me, let me close with this. It's, it's a phenomenal teaching. The Bible says, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And we know the Sabbath. We meet on Sunday. That's fishing day. That's teaching day. But we know the Sabbath literally is Friday night to Saturday night. We know that. And so the Sabbath begins welcoming in all of God's blessing and power and goodness for the whole next week. It's our, it's our weekly window of heaven. But a lot of people don't know, and we've taught it, but we haven't taught it a lot. At the end of the Sabbath is what's called um, Havdalah. And there's a prayer in Havdalah that you are welcoming in your angels to take care of you for the week. How many know we all have ministering angels, ministering, ministering spirits to the heirs of salvation? You have, wherever you go, you have two or three angels go with you. Some of you need to remember that. And they report directly to God and then to me. And so the prayer on Habdalah, welcoming these angels to lead us to our blessing for the week, goes like this. They are loved. They, they are all loved. They are all clear. They are all bold. They all do the will of their maker with fear and awe. Now, very quickly, he gives three descriptive adjectives. They are all loved. They are all clear. And they are all bold to do the will of God. And so when you read that, ancient Jewish wisdom says, first, they are loved. He said, when we are aware of God's great love for all of us, when we are aware how much God loves us, that to God we are precious in his sight, to God we are esteemed as great value, when we realize that God cherishes us, then we know our path becomes clear. Because when we know God loves us and he'll not let anything come against us that we, we can't handle, he'll never leave us, he'll never forsake us, we can then see with clarity what God is calling us to do. And when our path is clear, we can move forward with all boldness as courageous heroes 
with humility and giving God all the praise and all the glory. When we know we're loved, listen, it's not always easy to do what's right. It's not always easy to make that stand. It looks like in the natural, well, this is going to cost you. It maybe cost you friends or maybe cost you a position or maybe cost you finances, whatever it is. But when we know when we are rooted and rounded in the love that God has for us, we know when we make a stand for God, our path becomes clear. And the Holy Spirit will lead us and guide us and teach us and show us by the God's word what we're to do. And when we're clear in what we're do, we move forward with boldness. And when we move forward with boldness, everything we put our hands to, every place we put the sole of our feet, God will give it to us for an inheritance and he'll make us the head and not the tail. Our best is yet to come. Can I have an amen? Now, here's what I want to close with in that. We're we're getting ready. It's it's happening. We're seeing this happen. I was writing this down and I was telling the guys, I said, watch for the next move of God amongst young people. When did I tell you that? Wednesday, right? I got a, I got a, a text. Remind me to show it to you after church. I got a text from Truett, who produces our program in California. He goes, it's happening. And it showed somewhere in, somewhere, I, I, I was going to say Texas, but don't hold me to that. But it shows all of a sudden this revival of thousands of young people in a college breaking loose and thousands of young people in an auditorium standing and worshiping God and praising God and there's white and black and 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 Asian and Hispanic they're all standing and he, and all it said is it's begun somebody shout it's begun but you got to be bold I want to ask you to stand with me all over the building I don't have to qu- close real quick because the kickoff's not until 5 30. Ancient Jewish wisdom says, without holy boldness, it's impossible to understand God's word. That's pretty powerful. Especially when you realize the truth you know will set you free. Without holy boldness, it's impossible to understand God's word. The ethics of the father says a timid person cannot learn from the mouth of God. In other words, unless we do what's right, not what social media says to do, not what the government says to do, not what our community says to do, not what's popular to do, but we do what God says to do. And God says two things, be bold, and they will know you're my disciple and that you have love one for another. This is why was the word of God given to Israel? Because God knew they'd be bold. Be bold as a leopard, light as an eagle, swift as a deer, strong as a lion to do the will of God. And I believe that's us. Amen. I'd like to have every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around just for a moment. You're here, maybe you're watching around the world by television and I can't have, have, see your hand, but God sees your heart. And you're here right now and you'd say, Pastor Larry, you know, I've never been saved. I've never asked Jesus to come into my heart and my life and receive him as my personal Lord and Savior. Or maybe you have, but somewhere along the line, you kind of fell away and you kind of 
got swept up in the world. And you're saying, Pastor Larry, uh, it's time for me to be bold. It's time for me to be bold and come back to the Lord. As every head is bowed, every eye is closed, no one's looking around. Right in your seat, right there, say, Pastor, would you remember me? It's time for me to get my heart and life right with Jesus. Lift your hand up all over the building and hold it there. Hold it there so I can see every one of you. I see that hand, that hand, that hand, that hand. I see that hand, that hand. I see that hand, that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand, that hand, that hand, that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. God bless you. Anybody else? I see that hand. God bless you, dear. Anybody else? Somebody give these people a great big clap offering. We're going to pray. We're going to pray. And as we do, I want to pray. I'm not going to ask you how many need more boldness. We all need more boldness. But I'm going to ask you to pray with me that we would receive boldness. We would receive boldness. Boldness to do what the Word of God says to do. You know, we're, we're the light of the world. And the one thing the devil wants to do is take that light and put it under a bushel so it doesn't shine. But can I tell you something? If you have light a candle sometime and the flame represents your soul. In, in, in Judaism, the flame represents your soul. Take that candle and tilt it down. What happens to that flame? Still points up because he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. But take that light. You are the light. Think about that. You are the light of the world. Take that light and add another light. And then take that light and add another light. And take that light and add another light. Darkness never pierces light. Light always pierces darkness. And we are the light of the world. Can I have an amen? Take your neighbor's hands across the building in a sign of unity, a sign of loving one another, white, black, brown, male, female, young, old. And say this out loud together. Father, I come to you right now in the name of Jesus. I know I've sinned. We've all sinned. But I know this. You love me so much. You sent Jesus Christ into the world to pay the price in full for all my sin. Right now, I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. Now say this with boldness. Satan, get out of my life. Get out of my home. Get out of my family. Get out of my finances. Get out of my body. Get out of my future. I declare in the name and by the blood, every curse is broken and every curse is reversed. Use me in boldness, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our best is yet to come. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. If you believe that, give the Lord a clap offering. Wonderson's going to dismiss us, but my prayer is that when you come into church and you realize that every human being in the world, look at me, every human being in the world is saying this, 
Somebody make me feel good about myself. Somebody make me feel good. Somebody make me feel welcome. When you walk in the building, instead of just running to your little seat and hiding, walk around a little bit. Shake some hands. Hug somebody. Welcome somebody. Say, where are you from? Prison. Okay, where are you from? Hey, listen. There's only one that didn't need a Savior. And he was the Savior. Can I have an amen? We need to love one another. And we need to be bold in loving one another. Give the Lord a clap, everyone, one more time.